This is the Man Up Podcast, the doctor's guide to men's health. Each week on our podcast, we interview the top specialists of the field on various topics in men's health. You have questions that you are too afraid to ask? We have the answers. This week, we have another Perspectives episode, Living with Male Infertility. My name is Dr. Kevin Chu, and I'm joined as always with my co-host, Dr. Justin Dubin. What's up, Justin? How you doing? What's up, Kev? So um, we're going to talk a little bit before we get into the interview. Um, and as we're recording this, it's actually uh, National Infertility Awareness Week. So that's correct. You know, the, the interview that we're going to be following with is right on theme of that, maybe just a couple days late to the, to the right. party. But um, obviously a very, very important topic that you and I both deal with a lot. Um, and the thing is, I think people just really don't know the numbers behind infertility, right, Kevin? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, infertility actually affects, a, I would say, a good amount of people. About, about one in seven to eight couples actually go deal with infertility. Actually, to kind of back up a little bit, infertility, you know, the definition of it is actually if you've been trying to conceive for uh, the past year and have been unable to successfully conceive. That's a, a general right. definition of what infertility is. But yeah, one in eight couples uh, generally deal with it. But Justin, there, there's there's a little bit more to it, right? There's a differentiation between male and female factor in terms of infertility. Correct. And you know, it's one of these things where when we think about couple infertility, um, for, for whatever reason, a lot of it always points to the female partner. Right. And Believe it or not, I, I think we know this, you know, it takes two to tango, right? Like yes, there are, yes, <laughs> I mean, I guess everyone kind of knows that, right? <laughs> uh, it takes both parts, a male and a female partner to have a child, um, or at least conceived naturally by natural means. Um, and um, surprisingly, um, you know, male factor, uh, a male factor aspect is can play a role in up to 50% of couples struggling with fertility and has actually been seen to be a sole contributor in about 20 to 30% of cases of couples struggling with fertility. So this is really actually an important part of, you know, a fertility evaluation when, when couples are struggling with this kind of thing, right, Kev? Yeah. You know, I, I think the general kind of mindset when people think of infertility, just like you said, they immediately think like, oh, maybe, you know, the female, the wife needs to go get checked up. Something's going on. Um, and, you know, we, we actually have a stat here about 1.2 million women per year uh, are predominantly seen in infertility clinics. Uh, that's compared to only 240,000 men. And so when you're kind of talking about these numbers, there's a bit of a disconnect, right? In Huge terms disconnect. Of and so I think we're, you know, there, there could be a couple factors for why there's such a difference. Um, you know, just I'm sure you can shine on some of these factors. Why, you know, why aren't men getting worked up for their infertility? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with this, you know, I this first off this stigma that, you know, that we have to check the female. It's probably going to be a female aspect. We just showed you data or told you data that yeah. that's not clearly not always the case. In fact, 50 percent of the time it's may not be the case. Um, right. I think there's, there's also this, 
um, idea that, that people don't really think about it. They just, you know, they're not educated on the fact that this is a possibility. Um, and, and a lot of that, you know, when, when you're talking with your partner, I think a lot of guys are even scared to go make the trip or make that, make that appointment, even when it is suggested by their partner. And why do you think that is Kevin? You know, I think a lot of it is the impetus for why we are making the show in the first place. Right. Right, guys right. just don't want to go see the doctor, you know, they just don't want to. And, you know, especially when it comes to fertility, there's a little bit of a linkage to possibly your masculinity. You know, I, I think there's a lot Absolutely. of things that, you know, guys just don't want to admit or maybe face it. So, you know, I think with more information and, you know, things that, you know, me and you deal with a lot on a daily basis, um, I think the more informed guys are, the more they might be more willing to come in, get checked out if they need to, you know? I think you're absolutely right. I think it's one of those ideas. I'm not sick unless I go to the doctor, right? We see right. it all the time. I'm not sick because I haven't gone to the doctor. They t- haven't told me I'm sick. So I'm not infertile. I don't have this this idea that, you know, maybe I feel like I'm potentially less of a man. Um, but I think another aspect of it is, is like you go to the doctor and they're like, oh gosh, your sperm is low or you have no sperm or there's a problem with you. Then you're like, oh shit, like what am I going to do now? And I think a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of things that we can do to at least help you, whether it's testosterone levels, evaluating your hormone levels, looking at your semen parameters, giving you medications, giving you giving you tips on lifestyle changes, giving you potential surgery, rep- surgical repair of your issues. There's a lot of options that we have in, in our toolkit to help you get better. But it goes back to everything that you said. You know, only 20% of male partners are getting evaluated. We can't help you unless we see you. And I think that that comes into why we're talking about these things and why this national infertility awareness week is very important. What do you think? I completely agree with you, Justin. Uh, you know, I, I think that's what's so great about these awareness weeks to kind of raise awareness on things that maybe are kind of falling a little bit towards the back. And, you know, male infertility is one of the things that I think should be brought a little bit more to the limelight. Um, and just like you said, I, I think you touched upon it nicely. There's a lot of things in our toolkit that we can do. And, you know, a lot of it is time, though. Fertility takes time. Right. You know, the sperm process takes three months, you know. So these are things you shouldn't wait on. These are things that you should kind of, you know. Excellent you got, point. You got some kind of a thinking that something's going on, just go in and get checked out, you know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, if you're worried go talk to someone, you know, it's okay to see your primary care doctor first. You may not have access to the appropriate urologist. Um, and you can get a referral if you need a referral from a reproductive endocrinologist who are often the ones who actually refer to us, uh, uh, is so there's a lot of people you can ask to get the information that you need. And, um, and, you know, I think that exactly what you said, the reason of this podcast is man up. We're going to try to make you the best man. We're trying to elevate you to be the best you possible. And a lot of that starts with going to see your doctor, especially with infertility. And, you know, we, we also want to, you know, it's important we take that burden off of the female partner, right? You love your partner. You're going through this process with them. It's stressful enough that they're the one, you know, maybe it's like, oh, focus on you, focus on you. I think even Even if, you know, just by going to see the doctor, 
takes a little bit of stress on it. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a process together. It's a, you're a couple, you're going through this together. And, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, appropriate to, to at least do your part by getting the workup that you, you need, you probably do need. Uh, I think you're right on Justin. Uh, Just a little tangential. The minute you said elevate consciousness, I was just, just thinking about this TV show I'm watching this. We crash TV show. You watching this? I, I didn't, um, I think I've watched like the first four episodes. I saw the documentary, which I really yeah. enjoyed. How, how, like, yeah. Is it well, good? the mission, the mission of WeWork is to elevate consciousness. <laughs> which world. is an whatever, incredible, whatever that means. <laughs> incredible mission statement for, for a working space company, which is That's now kind of dead, but you know, rest That's of the I guess it's coming back. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but good. yeah, just like you said, though, just like you said, uh, it's a very stressful time for, you know, both partners. Um, so I'm hoping, you know, this episode, uh, you know, by, you know, someone that's been, you know, very willing to come share their experience with us. And we're very fortunate, um, about their infertility journey. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this episode. You know, a lot of people, a lot of men are not willing to talk about these topics. We are very, very lucky to get Gareth on and talk about his journey and I think a lot of the, a lot of what you will hear about his journey and the result um, of what happens to him will be surprising for a lot of people. And I think how he he explains his reaction may even be more surprising to a lot of people who may be struggling in this process. Um, but it's a really wonderful story, and I and I think we need a lot more people like Gareth out there to uh, to tell their stories and, and kind of normalize this situation. So what do you say, Kev? Should we move on to the interview? Let's jump right in. All right. I'm really excited for our guest today. We're joined by Gareth Landy, all the way from Ireland. Um, he is going to be uh, joining us. We're going to be talking about a very special topic, male infertility um, and also Kleinfelters. Uh, so Gareth has Kleinfelters, and we're really honored to have him on and to talk about this and talk about his journey. Welcome, Gareth. Hey, thanks, lads. Thanks for having me. No, thank oh, you man. for being on and, uh, you know, sharing your whole journey with us. I think uh, a lot of listeners are going to really appreciate and learn a lot from uh, our talk today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that one thing that guys don't want to talk about is is their fertility status. So you're one of the few guys who I've ever met who's willing to actually talk yeah. about it. So we really appreciate that. No problem. No problem. Will, will I just dive straight in? Will I go first? Yeah. Well, I think, okay. I guess we might as well start with the question that, that we, I just stated, you know, why do you think it is that guys don't want to talk about fertility and why are they uncomfortable talking about this topic? Well, it's really interesting you bring that up. So I've been wrestling with this concept in my mind, like for years now, I, I will get into it, but I found out in 2017 and it's. 20, 20, 2022 now, so it's five years, five years, <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, going, why, like, because Ireland and UK and the world over, like, lads, lads just don't talk about it, like, they will get, like, you know yourself in the States, people are mad about um, baseball and, you know, and American football in Ireland, people are mad about rugby, and, like, the lads will get into fights in the pubs over, it's like, it's like, Jesus, lads, come on. Like, but when it comes to something really important, like their infertility, they just close up and they shut down. And I was really thinking about it. And I had a conversation with, um, with a journalist here in the UK, wait for it, about two weeks ago. 
And she was saying in our conversation, this primal drive in men. And when she said the word primal, it was like a, a jigsaw in my mind. Oh, well, yeah, like the, the, the last piece going to my mind. So this is, this is the concept I see at the moment is that boys, men, the world over, we're all taught that it's the race. It's always a race between guys. So largely, if you think at, at a primal level, there used to be guys kind of competing to be with different women for the tribe and all the rest of it. So you kind of apply that to, to the 21st century. We've replaced it with the car you drive, the size of the engine, their mm. status, their job, where they live, blah, blah, blah. And that right. kind of, yeah, it's about race. It's kind of, but it's still going on. Like you see the way guys will race each other at traffic lights. Like, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's so stupid. You it's know? bad. It's bad. Kevin yeah. sees that a lot in Miami. I know that. <laughs> yes, I do. Well, Kevin yes, always wins. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Gareth. Thank you. Bigger <laughs> to you, losers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I was kind of thinking about it, and then I kind of see it as when a guy learns that he's infertile, this primal part of your brain. It's, it's really kind of crude, but basically you're knocked out of this race with other men. And I think it's a very kind of crude concept at the moment, but is that a guy's knocked out of the race, he's kind of like, well, what's the purpose to my life? If I can't have children, if I can't pass my genes on, I'm out of that race. And I think that, I think, well, this is my theory at the moment, is that right. men hide it. They don't want to talk about it because... Because then, at a subconscious level, they're not part of this bigger race. That, to be honest, is a, is a bit of a bollock. It's a bit, a bit of a waste of time. <laughs> um, yeah. that is where I think at the moment. That's kind of my thought. Garrett, I mean, I I think you put that in a very beautiful way, and I think it's kind of the reason why we're doing this, right? Like all these guys thinking that it's a race, or that you know what is happening to them is something that they don't really want to share, or kind of like keep to themselves. But uh, I, I think through talking to this, through talking that, you know, there's other people that are going on the same journey, um, I hope we'll, you know, get guys to, you know, learn about it, really, you know, take things into their own hands and be okay to talk about it. So, you know, why don't we go back? Let's go back to 20, I think you said 2017, right? That's when you kind of went on this journey. Why don't you start talking about, you know, you and your wife, like, you know, how long were you guys trying to have kids? You know, what, what was, you know, the situation back then? Sure. So, um, so Anna, that's my wife, uh, she, she and I got married in 2015 and I was 35 at the time. And then I had my own business at the time. Like I used to be a wedding videographer. So I used to shoot weddings all over Ireland. And, um, like that's quite stressful. Like weddings, by the way, in Ireland, they're significantly longer than they are in the UK or sorry, the US. So they run on quite a long time. So I had quite a stressful job of running this business. And then we kind of decided in 2017, why don't we try and have a family? Because with in relation to our situation, Anna has Anna has multiple cirrhosis. She has MS. So Anna had to come off her uh, her MS medication. Right. which kind of gave us a window for her to try and get pregnant. So we are kind of under a bit more pressure yeah. than maybe other heterosexual couples. Um, and, or not, not, well, you know what I mean, um, other couples. And, um, yeah, so Anna went for her checks. And, you know, by the way, I had an undescended testicle as a child. 
And that, yeah, so I, for your listeners, I grew up in outside Belfast and I went to the Royal Hospital and they, they, they fought down the test school. Right, but what they did happened, an orchiopexy, yeah. Okay, well, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Sorry, using um, doctor terminology. Yes, so they brought it down. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're your fan. Um, so they brought it down, but it was never kind of, was never kind of followed up. You know, it never kind of like the, thought maybe like 15 or 16 let's see how gareth's test scores are in the middle of puberty and where is he now in his early 20s this just wasn't ever checked and um like i had no idea like no idea at all and my gp which is your general practitioner uh, my my doctor um they said okay let's go do a semen analysis so i went to the so we did a semen analysis and that came back zero i got a text and then i got a call and the gp she said to me gareth you know i wouldn't be too worried because sometimes an issue can occur in the lab you know there could be a mistake or something could happen right. but it's okay now in ireland they usually say you have to wait at least two to three months before you do your next semen analysis um just okay. yes yeah, that's just the way it is um so but anna pushed saying well look I'm off my medication. That's two or three yeah. months more right. off my medication. Yeah. yeah. So they were still like, that's fine. That's grand. So I did another one um, a week or two later. And I um, I, got, I got a call or a text to say zero sperm in the sperm count or in the semen analysis, like zero. Yeah. Um, and by the way, being XXY, I have a trait of a form of a photographic memory. So I can remember sitting in the other, uh, not this room, the other place we lived in, and getting that text, and then the, and then ring Anna, and Anna came home early from work, and I was just like, fucking hell, so I was like, I'm not, the, I don't kind of flipping about now, but it was just so overwhelming. You got this text, yeah. and then you're kind of going, well, what does that mean, um, and everything like that. Now I had been told by the doctor, this is a very interesting thing, by the way. So the doctor had said to me. When I had done my first semen analysis, Gareth, have you ever heard of Kleinefelter syndrome? I was like, no. Like, is that some dude in Germany? Like, no. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was like, no. Because um, she said, you know, you could have some of the traits. You had a, you had a non-descended testicle as a child, and you're very tall. Like, you wouldn't know from looking at me. I'm six foot three. I'm really okay. tall. Um, but... I didn't kind of question the height growing up because my, my mother's now dead, but my mum was tall and my dad is tall. He's six foot one, I think he is. Um, and I know my brothers are tall, so I never really thought about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then we kind of, our doctor then said, why don't you go and see a urologist? So we paid privately. So for people watching, I said to you guys, but... The, the health system in Ireland works more like it does in the UK. It's very, it's quite different from the States. So we we didn't go through our insurance or anything like that. We just paid to see a consultant. And we went to a, a, a small clinic west of Dublin by about 30 miles. And uh, we went in to see the urologist. And I remember going in, sitting down in the room. He had all these weird little money trees in the in his office, away right, right. Okay. I was all covered in, it was all, it was all, but they were all covered in dust. And I'm thinking, that's kind of weird to have all this. You're making like a medical, 
a metal practitioner. Yeah, and that's kind of weird. Covered in dust, you know, in your office. Very clean. Anyway, but um, I don't, <laughs> it's a real stupid thing to remember. Yeah, and no, I, I get yeah. And I was just sitting there, and he said, do you know um, that scene in Thelma and Louise? This is the way I kind of describe it now to people to visualize. Do you know the scene? They're about to just fuck themselves Jump off, off the that cliff. cliff. Yeah. Hold yeah. hands. Yeah, they hold yeah. hands and then they ride <laughs> off the cliff. Yeah. Well, I was like in that seat, but didn't know I was about to go off that cliff. So okay. no concept at all. And I was kind of sitting there and I was to my, well, and was to my right. He said, like, you guys. And um, we straight ahead and he said, Gareth, I always like to be honest with honest with my patients. And I said, okay, great. Like I <laughs> thought he was going to say, you take this medicine, you go in this program of drugs, you do this, that, and we'll have an answer. And he looked me directly in the eyes and he said, Gareth, it doesn't work downstairs. You need to get over that and move on. Interesting comments. That's a, that's a very interesting comment because as we know that there's a, a lot of things that can be done and should be done for, for patients in your scenario. How are you that, feeling in that moment? At that moment, like, um, I was kind of like sitting there and I was like, no, did he say that to me? No, he didn't. Did he? Did, and I kind of always questioned myself and I started to retreat within myself. Um, I remember really, really, very, very visually, my heart was beating really fast and my hearing went. So I couldn't really hear properly. Right. And I would kind of describe it as almost like an out-of-body experience. Like I was in the room, but I wasn't there. Um, a lot of really aggressive, graphic imagery. I'm trying to articulate for this conversation. So I was like, are you fucking serious? Like, I'm a nice person. There are yeah. terrorists in the world that are killing people. Yeah. I'm yeah. a nice person. Why do I not have sperm? What have I done? Right. You know, all this kind of quite extreme end of the argument. And then it's like, and then he, said, he didn't actually say that to me, did he? he no, he didn't. Did he? No. He did. And it's like this internal monologue. And it's like, yeah. how could you say that to someone? How could you actually just turn around and just crush someone's uh, future like that in a yeah. horrible, horrible, aggressive way? Um, and Anna asked a few questions. And he was just equally unhelpful to her. Like she asked something, she told me after she asked her something about, well, could we adopt? And he was like, no, you can't. You've, you've got MS. And he, in other words, and he, Sheesh. by the way, he did, yeah, really unhelpful. And he didn't really properly examine. He looked at some of the kind of the, the charts that have been sent over from the GP and the female analysis. Yeah, right. Um, and we then left there and, I remember walking outside of the, the hospital, turning to the right, and you can see the Dublin Wicklow Mountains in the sky. And it's like, this is the way my brain works. And Alan and I completely broke down, like completely, completely imploded. Like, um, and at that moment, I we kind of went home. The next week or two was quite was quite. It's it's kind of date. It's um, fuzzy. I would describe it maybe in my mind. Um, what I started doing was I actually completely retreated within myself. I was saying I started playing a lot of violent computer games. I got really good at Call of Duty. We were really good at that. That's a great game. Love that game. <laughs> yeah. um, I got, oh my God, I've mentioned before, I should, I, they should repay me. I've met the one, it's Assassin's Creed. God, I got so yep. good at that one. That's Black also a good game too. It, 
Enjoyed it. Yeah. Very enjoyed it. <laughs> so there's a one called Black Flag, and you're kind of sailing around south of Florida. Yeah, as a pirate. As a pirate. As a pirate. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I went to town on that. I built the, the best <laughs> fucking going, blowing everyone up. Um, but it was a form of um, it was a form of escapism, and right. I started drinking more yeah. alcohol um, as well. And at a the reason we have a family now, I know it's kind of ruined the punchline, but is that I don't like referring to it as a project. But I like I didn't know anyone. I none of my close friends have ever experienced what I was going through. Um, and we're here like the town we live in there's five six pubs in the town whereas the population is four thousand so it's quite good um and anna suggested me one day she said gareth why don't you just go across and get a, a pint in one of the pubs and we all know alcohol doesn't solve your problems but i was just right i was just sitting by myself you know i was went to editing weddings and it was very difficult working these projects um it's my own business like i didn't have work with anyone else so it's right, largely right. by myself day in day out day in day out and and i went to say okay so went, right okay so I went across and i got a pint and i was just sitting there and this guy came up to you that i kind of know he's in a local band and he said gareth what's the story how you get known how you get and like i'm you can guess i'm quite a chatty person and I was quite, you know, I was quite low. I said, oh, I got really some really bad news recently. Um, I found out I'm a fertile. And I just said it like that. I found out I have no sperm, something like that. And he, he was quite taken aback because I was just so honest about it. I just said it. And I didn't really know this guy. And he said, ah. And his reaction was, ah. It was along the lines of, ah. Um, I'm trying to, try to articulate what he said. Ah, it, 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 it can't be really that bad. It was kind of what he was trying to articulate. And I kind of exploded on him going, did you not fucking hear what I said? I don't have yeah. any fault. Yeah. And I realized, immediately I apologized. Cause I was like, it's not your fault. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. And he was totally fine about it. Like he, he could understand why I was yeah, a bit yeah. brittle. Um, but what we then did, um, at a website called rollercoaster.ie and the pregnancy and family website and we end up going to london so london flight time for us is about 55 minutes to london from dublin really close and we went to see a guy called jonathan ramsey and mm-hmm. jonathan ramsey has been working with climate filter people climate, sorry climate filter syndrome people since the 90s so can, I the, of can i ask you a question can i ask you a question at what point were you diagnosed with Kleinfelter? Because I didn't, in the story thus far, you were told you were infertile. What was the workup when you had the no sperm to get to the diagnosis of Kleinfelter? So it sounds like you, by the time you were at home in Ireland, you got the diagnosis of Kleinfelter. Is that correct? No, I was just getting to No, that. okay. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh my God. So, 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 so Gareth, so at this time, all you knew was that you had no sperm. In the ejaculate, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do they um, do they yeah. do any testosterone levels on you? Anything at this point? From Hormone my memory, levels. no. Um, okay. I'm being honest. I honestly can't remember about that. Like I did go for regular blood checks and stuff like that. Right. Um, right. Um, but you will find this interesting about with so the well Kleinerfelter syndrome. So we went to see Jonathan Ramsey. He did look at me. 
Um, and he, I remember so clearly, he put his hand on my shoulder, this particular shoulder, and he said, Gareth, we're going to do everything humanly possible to help you and Anna have a baby. And there's this massive pressure just, just lifted off me. It was just amazing. Cause right. we just, we'd met this other medical professional and he'd been such a, he'd been such a company. Like he was horrible <laughs> yeah. to me, you know, like yeah. he was such a dick. Yeah. And then we met this other guy and he was like completely different person. Um, and what he said was, okay, Gareth, and I don't know if you know this about XX. Well, yeah, so I'll just explain. So it's referred to officially as Kleinerfelter syndrome. But I myself prefer the term XXY because you'll find this interesting from a language point of view is, is that when when people hear, oh, you're a Kleinefelter syndrome person, when they hear the word syndrome, they kind of see you, well, my experience is they kind of see you in a slightly, that you're kind of slightly flawed person. Is a kind I think of that's a very interesting point that I've never thought of. Kevin, you yeah. ever think of that? Like, that's that's a really insightful thing, you know. Yeah. Um, it's it's enlightening, especially, yeah. you know, I mean, me and Justin, we take care of a lot of, you know, xxy patients and uh you know I, I guess yeah justin i never really kind of thought about that i just you know yeah we just kind of address this like Kleinfelter syndrome yeah right? and i think i think this kind of goes back to what you were alluding when you were dealing with it in your hometown or you didn't have a name for it yet obviously but i think it makes that conversation with your friends your family, your loved ones a little bit easier, right? Like when you were back and this goes back to what we started from in the beginning, like you were in a hard place, obviously, because you saw, you know, this sign of fertility is obviously it's a sign for many men of their masculinity and what makes yeah. them a man and what makes them who they are. And when someone I'm sure, obviously I'm for, like, you know, fortunately I have not experienced that, but you know, someone when you're having a family planning, you're thinking it was going to go right. You thought it was going to sure. go perfect, right? And yeah, then absolutely. someone comes in and says, it's not happening. I can't imagine, right? Like, did, did you felt probably less like a man? And that's probably why you didn't want to talk to people, I'm guessing. I don't know. Absolutely. Do yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, um, and I was going for counseling in my life. And I'm a real advocate for counseling. I think men are after absolutely. help. It makes such such a difference um and it actually kind of connects into what you just said in your question there so you'll find this interesting so i have i'm one of uh, originally four children i'm the oldest of four boys and after my mother died and then we had the recession the worldwide recession we all remember 2008 um, yeah yeah um my mom was like i would kind of say it's like the glue that held our family together and when my mom died, I was living in Dublin. I moved back up to Belfast because my mom had terminal cancer. And then the crash came and then blah, 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 blah. I couldn't move back down to Dublin. And I, I had started my business and all the rest of it. But there was a lot of kind of uh, fragments started to appear in my family, my immediate family. And it's up to the point that actually I have uh, immediate family members who are narcissists in my family. And they're quite dangerous narcissists. And I was, I was going to therapy about that. And to this day, I still have not told my family that they are very much aware. You will find this interesting. They will be very much aware of what I'm doing. Um, because I did an interview with, I'll get onto the, the guy who founded this last year. 
And between August of last year and February of this year, I did 14 radio interviews. Um, Amazing. It's amazing. It's very impressive. It's a, it's a great thing that you're doing. <laughs> Um, but I didn't tell them because they would absolutely ridicule me. They would say, Garrett's not a proper man. Garrett, oh, it's a load of balls of Garrett. Really invalidating and just been dicks. So I did not tell them. Um, I'm sorry. It's okay because my life is better without them. And I get to, to meet amazing people like you guys. You know, um, so there's a lot of positives I kind of see. I know I've kind of jumped backwards in the storyline, but... Um, that would kind of spill in another gap. <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. Listen, it's friends. It's personal. Res- like you have personal pressure. You have the, you have this feeling of responsibility to the partner. Then your, you know, family always asks, you know, if once you get married, when are you having oh. kids? When are you having kids? That brings that extra pressure. Then your friends are having kids. And then your friends are saying, when are you having kids? When are you having kids? It, it kind of just stockpiles and then you don't, you probably, you close in, you, you know, it, it's a lot of pressure. We get it. I, the, I get uh, it. the, the fertility journey, I think just, just in itself, you know, people are, you know, just like Justin said, you know, when are you having kids? You hit a certain age in the relationship. When are you having kids? It's stressful for you and the partner, especially when things aren't going the way that are expected, you know, sure. and things don't go as they're expected. That's why there are, infertility specialists and uh especially with what you were going through that builds on it and not being able to necessarily freely share it with a lot of people at that time i think you know i can i I can't even imagine you know everything you were going through um why don't we let's reframe it though let's 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 bring it back to dr jonathan ramsey so you got to london and you know this guy sounds like a fantastic physician you know really good bedside um, so what happens there? Sure. So Jonathan Ramsey, um, you guys are probably aware that a lot of XXY people are very visual. The way we think, we're, very, we're complete visual thinkers. So he was very much aware of that. So he drew a picture of my testicles, well, pic- well, my testicles and a penis and all the rest of it. Because I, by the way, I find it quite difficult being in a hospital environment. My mother died in a hospice. And because of the way my memory works, I remember Sorry when my mom died. Um, thanks. Thank you. Um, but this is all connected in. And I didn't know at this stage the way my brain works, the way certain trauma. So it's kind of, it's like, a, it's like an Achilles heel of having a form of photographic memory. You right, remember all right. the, the bad shit. Too. <laughs> like, no. but, uh, um, so yeah. he said, Gareth, we're going to do an FNA. So an FNA, for your listeners, is a fine needle aspiration. And it's very similar. You guys are probably aware of the micro TZ. So, yes. Yeah. So, it's, so for your listeners, if everyone can imagine, you've got your, you've got your penis. It's very crude. Other oh, straight <laughs> lads like to see it straight. Where did that come from? You got your, you got your, you got your testicles. So the last, so Doctor Ramsey said, sometimes Gareth, what can happen is there can be a blockage within the within the tube within the penis. So right. what we're going to do is we're going to use the fine needles and we're going to go to the testicles and try and extract sperm. Okay. So he was. And this is the great thing about with Jonathan Ramsey. He treats you as an equal. He doesn't see you as like subhuman or anything kind of stupid like that. He said, you know, most men, Gareth, 
if they have the ability to produce sperm because XXY is a spectrum, it affects men in different ways, that if they have sperm, it drops off in their mid-20s. And I was 37. So he said, we kind of, I said, I feel we kind of know the answer, but let's just have a look. So I went in for surgery. I was in recovery. And this is where you guys will find very interesting. So he came into the room. I remember he came into the room where Anna was. I said, I've got some great news. He said, Gareth, you are the first person in the world that I know of, or I'm any of my other colleagues that I work with around the world. You're the very first person I've ever met who in their mid to late 30s still has the ability to produce the building blocks that build sperm. You're the very first cool. person we've ever found. Um, but I kind of thought you guys really find that interesting. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. And so at this point, you were diagnosed with Kleinfelter's thing. Yes, he said he would describe me as a mosaic of Kleinefelters, which means okay. I have XY and XXY sex cells. I have right. So, and go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, so 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 Gareth, I'll pause right. there. So Justin, do you wanna you wanna give like a little like just just a very brief background on like XXY yeah, so, so yes, XXY Kleinfelters, you know, is actually it's more common than people would think about one right. out of 500 to 600 people have it. And my, my mentor over at Northwestern here, Dr. Brannigan, who, who deals with a lot of client filters or XXY patients, you know, there's a football field, American football field here called soldiers, soldier field. That's where the Chicago bears play. There's 60,000 people there. So if you were in that stadium and there, and you, it was a full stadium, you would have at least a hundred people in that stadium you know, data wise to have Kleinfelters. That's how common right. it actually is. So, you know, 47 XXY is the common type. Like you said, you, you have a mosaic, which is probably somewhere in between there. Some of your sex cells have the XY, some of them have XXY. Um, but yeah, classic, the classic, what we call phenotype or characteristics of Kleinfelters, you know, tall stature, as you said, you know, gynecomastia, which is potential breast development smaller testicles, but a lot of men go because of this mosaic and because of the way that, you know, Kleinfelters or XXY presents is a lot of people just never know. They just really never know like you, you know, they just don't know um, because it presents in so many different ways. Um, and so it's really interesting. And can you just tell us now when you got that diagnosis how did you feel and what did you do at that point? I know we're going a little back, but I do want to know once they told you you had Kleinfelters, was that a relief to have something like a diagnosis behind it? Or was that more frustrating? You know, because I do find that, and I don't know if Kevin can agree, I'm sure he does, is when we have diagnosed men of your age or maybe a little bit younger with Kleinfelters that they didn't know that they had it, there was a sense of relief, like, okay, I have, like, there's an explanation behind what's going on. How did you feel at that time? That's, um, yeah, so it was, when he told me, it was both excitement of, like, wow, I might have sperm after all. And it was almost right. like fingers to that urologist. Who basically, I know I swear. <laughs> yeah. It, but it was yeah. Just, it's yeah, like, yeah. fuck you, like, you know. Um, and... It was, it was kind of, I don't like to kind of put into like a pigeon box or uh, like a kind of like 
I'm, kind of, I'm not articulating. I don't like to be kind of put into a label, into a little box. But when he when he said that to me, um, and this is a real relief for me, was it wasn't my fault. That was a real absolutely. You know, like being that. you know being born XXY. It's not your fault. It's just, just it's just 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 that's just what happens. It, tr- it truly <laughs> it truly happens randomly. It, it's yes. a yes. random event that happens. This was no one's fault. This just happened during the fertility event of your parents. Yeah. Totally yeah. random. No one's yeah. fault. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, like my mom did mention, I haven't really talked about this in podcast, but you guys might find this interesting. My mom miscarried within a year, I think, of me being born. She, my mom had another pregnancy, and she, I remember her telling me that she, that, that pregnancy she, she, or failed or part of it failed, and then I kind of appeared. So I don't know if there's any link to that. Maybe that's just a random separate I, avenue. I don't, but, I don't think – I think it's kind of a random thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't okay. look too much into that. Um, but but I, I, I'm very proud of the person I am. You know, I would actually you change be. myself, you know. Um, it was such a relief, like, because he, cause finally there was a bit of an answer. Um, mm-hmm. And Anna – like, I didn't really know much about XXY at this stage. So Anna very much kind of shielded me from it because at the time when you put in – Kleinerfelter syndrome into Google because we're visual, we're so visual. All the images that appeared were kind of the extreme end of what could happen as an XXY. Yeah. Um, and I never did that. She said, "Do I do not want you looking at images because I was already in quite a vulnerable place as it was." So I just said, "Okay, if she, if, if Anna thinks it's bad for me to look at these images, I'm not going to look at them because because I would then remember those shots." Not realizing this was a, a trait of being XXY. Um, I think that's really, a great point. I think it's know. a great point because, and that's something also we don't think about. And I mentioned that before is, you know, XXY comes in so many flavors and a spectrum, as you know. But when we learn as doctors and medical practitioners, they give us the most classic look mm. of what Kleinfelters is, which as Kevin and I know, is often really not the case. And as, as you also know, obviously. So, I mean, I think that's a really interesting point for, in terms of educating patients or people who do have XXY, I can see how that can be very bothersome. I, I've never thought about that either. It's a really that's excellent a, point. That's okay. Yeah. Um, so the fertility thing. So this is what you guys will find very uh, interesting. So, my, I, I, I've been, I've been trying to find it. You guys in the states use a different testosterone level to Ireland and the UK. Right. So mm. I wish I could find the scale so I could give you a, a, a comparison because I, I actually. You could just say low or high or yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's right. Was it above <laughs> or was it below the level oh. of where it's supposed to be considered? <laughs> that's that's a good approach, Kevin. I like these visual thinkers. We'll, we'll go for points. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so the guys, so we, I'll just use the number anyway, and then it'll kind of as a visual, you can then visualize what it looks like. Yeah. So I was operating on a range of 11 to 13 with my natural okay. testosterone. And they said that the natural level for an XY guy was, uh, 19 to 24. Okay. Now, just to kind of give you an, a size operating, maybe around 35% less than other XY men. Um, now, remember I said it didn't, I wasn't even aware of it to kind of give you right. an idea of 
of how my body had adapted to operating on significantly less testosterone was yeah. I cycled the length of Ireland in 2013 in six days to raise money for children with cancer. That was, wow. That was That's four, awesome. <laughs> 426 miles we did in six days. Yeah. It was all downhill. So it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a great point because, you know, a lot of men who may have physically or may have low testosterone with XXY may not really know because, you know, that's where they've been their whole lives and that's how their body functions. Does that mean that we can't get it higher and maybe make you feel a little bit better or, or whatnot? No, yeah. I mean, but it's a, it's a really excellent point because sometimes you're not symptomatic, even though your testosterone is lower, but you know, did you have things like less body hair or, yeah. you know, less yeah. energy and stuff like that, that you no, did notice? The, the energy was never really a problem. No, it's exciting. Like I was saying, I used to be a wedding videographer, like the average length of a wedding for me in Ireland used to be 16 hours. Jesus, you know? that's a long wedding. That's a very long wedding. Yeah, <laughs> in the states, the states. Yeah, I don't, I don't think people would be able to. Oh, <laughs> uh, you guys are pussies. He wouldn't last yeah. long. <laughs> um, yeah, because weddings in Ireland, like they'll run to three or four in the morning. Like they'll run Jeez. really late here. Like nice. I never stay that late. Like you don't want to be there. Like at the end, it'd be like the end of Braveheart. It'd be, it'd be awful. It'd be dreadful. Um, but I used to stay to 11 at night. And at that stage, the party's only getting going. Um, right. You know, but um, the tiredness wasn't a thing, really, for me. Um, like, it was funny. I um, I did have a shave yesterday. But my facial hair used to grow really slowly. Like, I could get away for, like, not shaving for, like, nine days. Like, it just didn't right. grow. Gareth, I, I get away with like not shaving for a whole year. You know, that's just how they, <laughs> us Asians this, just, you know. That's just how I, I shaved, I shaved this morning, so. <laughs> I, I thought it was a, bar, a barrow, you just put that in there. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of, you know, like my big blades would last forever. You know, <laughs> like it was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so, um, so Gareth. Did, did, so, you know, they, they're telling you your testosterone's like a little bit on the lower side and you're starting to like kind of like look back. You're like, okay, maybe I'm feeling some, maybe I'm not. Did they talk to you about taking any replacement meds or anything that you should go on at this time? And like, is this before your surgery, after surgery? Sure. So this, I was found out what my natural testosterone level was before a blood test. And then in you guys would know the proper terminology. I then was tested for clinofelters through a special genetic blood test. Yes. It was, it's quite expensive. It was like four or five hundred pounds. But I don't know what yeah, that is in yeah. dollars. But, um, so that then confirmed I was an XXY person. But it was, I learned I was a mosaic when I came out of surgery after the FNA. Um, okay. But okay. the reason I mentioned the testosterone to, to tie it in is that when I had that first operation, my natural levels crashed to, to four. So, yeah. And I was really exhausted. Um, like where we live, it's the same town we were in three or four years ago. Um, I can't think what it's in yards because I think in meters. So it was about 300 meters to go across the bridge to the uh, our local convenience store to buy milk or bread. And that was too far. I, I to tie my shoelaces was a major deal. Like I was so I was so fucked. Like that's a nice way of putting it. I completely physically worn out. Um, 
and my bowel movements just accelerated. Like, I mean, they went up really, really high. Um, and then I went on, um, and by the way, just to mention again, everybody's thinking about how fit I was. In 2016, I ran my first marathon. Again, Jeez, 35 man, to left. Unbelievable, unbelievable shape. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I was 36 when I did that. Um, so, you know, you, you, you were down and that's one thing that, you know, when we do operate on testicles, that's something that is always a potential risk. You know, there can be a little bit of a hit to a testicle mm -hmm. that can potentially drive your testosterone even lower. Um, and at, at this point, what were the next steps for you though? I, I, sure. I'm assuming you started to feel better. Someone were, they were giving you medicine. What medicine were they giving you at this point to optimize your testosterone? Sure. Now the actual names, the actual products or drugs I was taking, I'd forgotten, but I was right. rubbing gels onto my, my, my tummy, onto my leg, these clear gels to slowly to increase it up. Um, and because, by the way, I was quite fit, like I'm very fit now as well, but Anna would have to inject me three times a week into my stomach with mm -hmm. testosterone. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and like sometimes it would bleed and sometimes it would sting like hell. I have to do this three times a week. I'm really bad, really bad with needles. I'm getting my blood checked. Look at my blood count. You guys use blood count. Um, yeah. and regular blood tests. And it was just, it was just so exhausting. Yeah. Kevin, um, can you, you want to just quickly explain what the, what, what he was taking for, for our listeners? I think we both know is testosterone, HCG, how that yeah, works. Yeah. 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 So there's a, you know, there's a, so, you know, first off, you know, there, I don't want to really get too much into the science of it, but like, you, right, need, right. you need good testosterone, especially in the testosterone, uh, in the testicle area to have good sperm production. That's just uh, one of the principles of thinking uh, that us infertility specialists have. And so there are different medications that you can take to really try to boost up the testosterone in that area. The number one thing that we have to keep in consideration, though, as Justin will attest, is that, you know... Testosterone that's given wholesale, just, you know, injected or, you know, high volumes of it can uh, suppress your system for making it, right? So you have to make sure to have a good balance and have a good way of ensuring that you don't shut down your natural system and just kind of really ramp up your natural system. And so one of these medications is HCG, right? HCG will increase uh, testosterone levels up in your testes. There's a myriad of other medications you could take. You could take Clomid. I'm sure it's one of the medications I, that people yeah, have heard Yeah, I of. took that one. I took Clomid. It's a, yeah. it's a pill that you uh, take, uh, and um, that can have, you know, certain side effects to it. But, uh, you know, it's mainly these two medications they can. I know, I, I'm sure, Justin, you could say, uh, other physicians may employ, like, a little bit lower volume of exogenous testosterone that they use in this whole combination of things. But for the most part, it's really the HCG that you're using to try to drive up. Uh, and that was what you were taking. You were injecting yourself three times a week with the HCG. You were probably putting on a little bit of a testosterone to get your general testosterone levels up to make you feel better. The HCG potentially is protective, and it also tells your testicles to make natural testosterone along with things like Clomid. So you had a good balance of things trying to maximize right. your testosterone levels while also trying to maximize your fertility and, and your ability to make sperm. So, and how long were you on this stuff for? Um, I was on this stuff for months and months because my levels were so low and they had to 
climb <laughs> such a massive, massive ladder. Wow. Um, and you'll find it's interesting. So in August of, it would have been 20, 2018, um, I, um, I, by the way, I, I, I had actually decided to close my business because shooting weddings is like they're very stressful, you know, and I really wasn't physically in the best state. And my, basically, I, I've done it for 13 years and I, I, I want to do something else. There's only so many times you look at people in a white dress, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, but uh, I, I shot my last wedding in the West of Ireland and a week later, exactly a week later, I was in hospital getting my appendix out. Oh, oh bad timing. Bad timing, huh? When it rains, so I, it pours. So, yeah. So, there. Yeah, I was in hospital for eight days and... Um, Again, because uh, I think that the health system works differently in Ireland. Like, I, the state covers that. You know, we we didn't have like insurance and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but that pushed back my micro TZ. You, I can't remember the uh, micro okay. testicular. Yes. I've forgotten the rest. <laughs> micro dissection, uh, testicular sperm extraction. There yeah. you my, go. Raindrops we basically, now. Right. <laughs> and, and basically, what we do in that situation is we take a microscope, we look under the microscope sometimes, you know, I, that's, we look under the microscope, we try to find the, the, you know, the sperm or the, the parts of the testicle that look like they have the most sperm or potential for sperm. And then we extract them and hope that there is sperm in them. Now, Kevin, I know Kevin has some data kind of that about Kleinfelter specifically on, you know, how many men have sperm in their ejaculate as Kleinfelters or XXY and the success of the sperm extraction. Kev, what, what's, what's some of those numbers? Yeah, just, I mean, just to give uh, our listeners some background, you know, generally uh, with Kleinfelter syndrome, you know, in the literature, approximately 8 to 10% of men will have sperm in their ejaculate. One of the things that, you know, uh, I'm interested in, as well as my mentor here, is just looking, especially like, you know, with the advent of more testing, uh, we are actually identifying more patients with XXY uh, earlier on, especially in the adolescent phase. And these are one of the things that's a little bit more interesting, just, you know, just to go on a little bit of a tangent, but in, in the adolescent phase, you know, asking a young person to give a, you know, a sample is a very tough thing. And there's a lot of implications. Yeah. It, it requires a lot of um, team efforts. I, I think I know uh, Dr. Pippa Sanster out in London uh, is also very interested, in it, but it's, it's really a team event. But one of the things that we found was that uh, a lot of adolescents, you're just not seeing the ones that are actually getting diagnosed at this young age are not having any sperm in the ejaculate. So, you know, do we ask these kids to keep, pro you know, providing samples over and over? I don't know if there's that much utility to that, but uh, you know, that's something that we definitely look at. And it, I think that really shines on this whole XXY you know, the, we're still learning so much about it, you know, timing of medications, when they give it, is it helping? And just like you touched upon your age, you know, what's the implication of the age when we undergo these sperm retrievals? Um, but uh, in general, uh, overall, 10% of men um, do have sperm in their ejaculate uh, when we look at these large databases. And, and those that don't, move on to exactly what you did and they get the microtesi. So tell us about that experience. You know, how did, how did the, you know, the day of surgery, what's going through your mind? How does it go? And we'll take it from there. Sure. So, um, you guys can kind of guess, I like having the chat. 
you know, it's something <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it always kind of, I, I always like talking to people from all walks of life. It kind of helps to keep you grounded. And I was walking in, I remember it was a Hammersmith hospital. I think, I think it's Hammersmith hospital again. Was it? That's not, I had, it doesn't matter the hospital, but, um, I was going in, you'll find it interesting. So we're, we're going in just before the surgery and we're in this kind of place where they kind of put on the, the, the monitors on your body and everything like that. And they're trying to, they're trying to put, they're trying to put the thing into my, my veins. You know, the thing for, for the, yeah, the medication. IV, the IV. The IV. Yeah. I, again, really bad because you will find this interesting. So I've made a lot of insightful thoughts about being XXY. Because I'm so visual, I then visualize the, the actual piece going into my vein. And it's really, really visual. So I imagine the blood and then this thing going within my vein. Yeah. Uh, it, it's yeah. A, and it really freaks me out. Like, And because they connect me up to the, the heart machine, the, the, the woman said, oh, my God, I've made a mistake on this arm, I'm going to have to go and get the person who put you to sleep. I've forgotten that person's, person's official title. Anesthesiologist. There you go. Um, on cue, Justin is there. Um, and um, <laughs> She said, I made a mistake. I'll be back. And I could hear my heart rate slowing down. Cause get, and it was kind of a cold environment where we were. And he came rushing in. And he, he said, you need to sit down. I said, oh, no, I'm fine. Said, if you don't sit down, you're going to faint because my heart rate was dropping. Yeah, you were getting <laughs> nervous. It's a, it's, it, it can be nerve-wracking. It can be, the, the process, obviously, it can be very stressful. It can be nerve-wracking. Um, so you get it, you, you go under surgery, you wake up, and what does the doctor tell you? Okay, so by the way, for yourself and your listeners, Jonathan Ramsey had said ahead of time, he said, Gareth and Anna, we can't put all our eggs in one basket. That's right that if your body is able to absorb all this testosterone and make sperm, that it's going to work because we just don't know. Um, so he gave it a very realistic expectation of like no more than 20%. Like he was very realistic with that. So we then looked ahead of time at using donor sperm. So okay. that was our backup plan. Um, now, when I came out of surgery, there was a, I remember the clock and it, Imagine like a big round face clock, and yes. the, cl the clock hit like it was. I can't remember the exact hour, but I remember where the clock was. It was like twenty two on the clock, and there's like a there was um, a, a second going round into the sixty second of the minute, and the clock by mind froze, but I could still see the clock going round. So because right. the consultant came in and said, Gareth, we've had a look, and unfortunately, there's no sperm. Unfortunately. It didn't. It, your your ability to produce sperm has diminished. But they said it in a really kind of nice way. It wasn't like a very cold way. And right. I can still see that clock, like like as if the, as if the second hand is trying to get past, um, and it's just sitting there. But I can see the clock going round because right. I see what, before I this, I was still thinking I was fertile, and then after this, I'm infertile. Um, it's a very visual cold way of seeing it but that's the way my brain works um but it was a, it was i would say it was a lot of relief because this this is now my third operation in a year yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, i've been through so much and it was the kind of sense of closure that and we had done everything we could we like i was with or he's still my consultant and I'm, I'm with one of the best consultants in the world who knows yeah. about filters yeah. and you know but it was, 
it was closure for me on that on relation to that part of our our journey if such you know i mean justin justin i mean i'm sure you could share like as gareth is telling us from the patient side giving the you know sharing that with our patients whenever we don't find sperm it's it's tough huh right? It's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, it is akin to almost talking about a death in many ways to, to many people, right? I mean, that, that, you know, potential to have a future child biologically that may be yours. Um, but you know, I think what you said is so important, Gareth, is that you had a sense of closure because yes. you know you did everything in your uh, physical ability to yeah. give yourself the best chance. You know, what, what my mentor likes to say is, we like to say, you know, you had your day in court. We gave you every opportunity and you, like, we worked together to give you that best opportunity to, to you know, to, to maximize your potential, to give you that potential for, for, for a biological child. And unfortunately, as Kevin and I both know, and unfortunately, as you know, it doesn't always end up, uh, you know, the way that we want it to, especially with, with XXY patients, you know, the success rate in these micro you got a 20%, which it it is very, is a very fair number. It could be, you know, up up to 45, sometimes 50%, but that's still not, you know, that's not what people want to hear. And it's unfortunately the way that it is. And we have a lot of technology and, and you, you, we heard it through your story that we have a lot of things that we can try to do, whether it's surgery, medicine, all these things to optimize you. But at the end of the day, sometimes there's things that are out of our control. Um, I just want to go back to, to, you know, you had this diagnosis, you, you had the, you mentioned the discussion of a donor before and, mm-hmm. you know, going into your surgery, at what point was that brought up and how did you feel about it? Obviously we'll get to after the surgery results, but how did you feel about it at first when you were talking about it with your doctor about potential donor sperm and having a child that may not potentially be your biological child? Sure. Um, that's a great question. Uh, well done. Um, um, is, so I was already kind of on the fence about it anyway, because I'd learned that I was potentially infertile. So I'd actually had quite a, a large amount of, well, not, not a large amount of time, but certainly a good few months for it to kind of formulate in my head. Um, also, by the way, which I would recommend to people, and people are going, to go, oh, that's not for me. It's, I got back into my running like I really got, I'm yeah. running, like I, it's quite, I, I'm a long distance runner. Um, like I've actually ran two further marathons around 2018, 2019. Man. <laughs> I've run zero marathons. I, I don't think I could. Run one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the running, like the running for me, like it, it's, you would kind of process stuff about how I was feeling about using donor sperm and the way my brain yeah. works. I would go out running and I would listen to music for a little bit and then I take my headphones off because it just irritates me. Um, and where we live, we live about 35 miles from Dublin. So it's in the countryside here. Yeah. And I'd run on these back roads and there's a lot of studs around here, like big like horse studs and stuff. And sometimes you see the studs, in, or not the studs, the, the stallions, the mares in the fields yeah. and you go up and give them a pet and all the rest of it. But it's a really beautiful part of Ireland we live in. And I would go out running and I would kind of play these different scenarios in my mind 
of things I was thinking. But when I ran, I would process a lot of thoughts. Um, and you would find this very insightful. Um, I remember a lot of my dreams. Okay, so when I got that news originally, I should have said this, but I forgot. When I got that news from the original urologist, um, and we're before, and around the time we started to see John Rampy, I had a repeating dream. So I had a repeating dream outside our home here. I had my arms wide out, and a child of about one and a half to two, not a boy or a girl, just a child, would, would start to run towards me. And I I had my flat. Okay, right. But this this is where it gets sometimes gets very hard for me. Is that the child would start to would start to fade, and the child child would just fade into thin air, and I'd be sitting there with my arms wow. wide open. Yeah, and I had this that's repeating, for repeating over and over again, and I had another dream that I was up in the local playground here in our town, and I was kind of sitting there, and um, I brought my child in again. And and these people came up to me and they said, why are you sitting in this playground? I said, what do you mean? I'm just here my child. I said, no, you didn't come in here with a child. You came in by yourself and you sat down and you're looking at our child. And if you don't leave, we're going to ring the cops. And I was chased out of the playground because I had entered in my mind with a child. And then these people were saying, you came in by yourself. Um, and I had those two dreams repeating for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and in talking to my therapist, she said, that is your, your brain, Gareth, working through that trauma of not yeah. potentially having biological children. And I know men don't talk about it, so that's why I feel my experience would definitely be a benefit to you guys and other men watching this about that. Dude, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. I, you know, yeah. I, I know those are really, um, uh, you know, those mean a lot to you. And uh, it, it's such a tough, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, I can't even imagine it. But just, just going through that, having, you know, hearing about the infertility, making a decision on donor sperm, whether to use that or not. I, I think these are so much that you're going through, so much. Um, and, and for you to really share your thoughts, I, you know, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm glad to absolutely. do it, you know. Um, so I kind of go forward a bit in the timeline again. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we, Jonathan Ramsey said you need to look at donor sperm. Um, and I kept putting it off because what happened was it was on these websites. And, you know, I was trying to find problems with the donors because I was so kind of in such turmoil with myself and how I felt. So right. if I found problems with these other donors, and these donors are amazing, both egg and sperm donors, those fucking yeah, amazing, amazing people. They are so incredible. And people who don't know about infertility, can I've heard people say really cruel things. I'm like, you don't fucking know what you're talking about. Like, like I've heard people yeah. say, they yeah. do it for the money. They fucking don't. They don't do it for the money. Um, Sorry, that's a slight side crusade that, there. That's fine. <laughs> no, you're good, you're good. Um, but we, I kept finding it really overwhelming. And then Anna would then kind of shortlist down certain things we were looking for. And we weren't kind of like, we didn't like have a big, like huge encyclopedia of re requests. Right, you know, right. It wasn't something massive. And we talked, we contacted Jonathan Ramsey and said, is there anyone you can contact or is there anyone that you work with that can help us? 
and he told us about this embryologist that I'm really good friends with, by the way, uh, called Erica Foster. And Erica, you'll find this interesting. So we contacted Erica. Uh, my photograph on my LinkedIn profile is still the same. And I contacted her through LinkedIn. And she saw my photograph on LinkedIn. And we did a voice, we did a we call on the phone here. And um, she said, uh, she said, it's really weird, but Gareth, Anna, I have a donor that looks really like Gareth because I can see what Gareth looks like on his LinkedIn profile. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. So, that's very interesting. So we have to ring her back because we forgot to ask how tall the donor was. Um, <laughs> so we, we rang her back and he's actually even taller than me. He's 6'5". He's even taller than me. Wow. Um, but there is a really good resource. Actually, you guys would find it interesting. I'm not sure if there's a US equivalent. There's a thing in the UK that we went to called the donor, the DC, uh, dcnetwork.org. I can send you a separate link. And yeah. It's a UK-based, I wouldn't say it's a charity maybe, but they kind of talk about donor-conceived people, you know, who, you know, donor and they run these conferences and events. And we went to one in Belfast and it was, it was, it was a, it was really transformative for my life um we met this guy called danny and his testicles had twisted and he couldn't have children and he got really emotional right, yeah, torsion, yeah. yeah um and then we met this woman and it was a two-day gig and her name her name is lucy i think and she is a donor conceived woman and what she said and it it'll always stay with me because it's so it's like oh my god it's so amazing she said the person who contributed the sperm to making me exist, he was like this amount of me. The per the dad, the man who raised me is my dad. The person who changed my diapers, who put me through college and all the rest of it, he's my dad. And that was that was I was I got really upset by thinking about it now. Um it was so incredible because um here was a, do a donor conceived woman talking about her amazing dad. And she wasn't talking about the donor. She was talking about the, the, the dad who raised her. And like we left there and I was like on, a, on an absolute high because here was, in my mind, a, a real viable plan. If I don't have sperm, we are definitely using donor because this is, this is amazing. This is, this is just so, so incredible. I get, I, get so, I get so emotional about it. Uh, um, um, but it was amazing. It was really, really brilliant. So we then switched to using uh, we then went down the road of IVF um after it came through that I that the operation hadn't worked for for, for me does that make sense does that make sense um, yes no doubt that, that's yeah, amazing yeah. amazing yeah it makes 100% sense and that's a really wonderful story and just to kind of bring that in I know Kevin and I, I, I this is how we consult patients who are exactly in your situation, at the end of the day, if you want to be a father, you're going to be a father. And mm -hmm. that is the most important thing. We have one way or another, there go, you're going to be a father and you're going to be a dad. You're going to, you're, you're, you know, you're going to be a family. Um, it may not be the way that you anticipated, but I will tell you, and you will tell us in a bit, you know, it's just as damn good and it feels great. You know, I've never had any patient complain about having a donor sperm 
once that baby is born, that is their their that is their child, one thousand percent, right, Kev? That's yeah, you know that's that's correct. I think Gareth, the way you you really describe that, you're right. It's you're a father, right? You're you're a father for this child. Um, just how you described it—that this part, the donor sperm was this much, but it really is, you know, being a family, you know, being a father, and that's, you know, truly everything uh, that that gives a lot in life. Uh, so why don't you bring us to where you are at now? So you know, okay. guys, so, utilize sure. the donor sperm. So, so you yeah. did the IVF. We did three rounds of IVF. Happens. Three rounds of IVF. Okay. Um, the, the one thing I would actually say from doing the IVF, so the first one was a, deemed a chemical pregnancy. I'll be very brief. So it was a chemical pregnancy, which is a dreadful term. Uh, we did a second one. Um, and I felt, looking back on the second round of IVF, that they definitely do in the UK. They probably do in the States. They can grade the quality of the embryos. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they said they found this particular embryo. Um, and they said, oh, my God. This is like the Tesla. I'll just pick. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> uh, you know, it's the it's it's the best one going. And so then we put that in Anna's uterus, and it failed. And I <sighs> was really, really devastated, really hard because yeah. we felt fucking hell. This is this is going to happen. We're going to have a fucking baby, like, and that failed. Yeah. And they didn't know why it failed. So. Mm. What I would say to people going forward, if they have certain embryos, maybe not ask about the quality of the embryos because if it fails and you hear it's the best, it's the quiz of, of the best embryos going and it fails, it's very hard and you both yeah. emotionally and honestly, it's really difficult. That would be my one little piece of advice. Um, we didn't do that. We, well, we went silver to um, the States. Um, Anna had sister, lives in Bethesda. That was quite bittersweet because we are with our nieces. Uh, for Christmas in Christmas 2018. Yeah, that's it. Um, and then came back and then we did our third round of IVF and we said, we don't want to know the quality of the embryos. This is your job. You guys pick the quality. And we said, well, we have to tell you. And we said, well, you said it would work last time and you don't know why it failed. And that was really difficult for us. So you guys pick. But we want you to put back two embryos. And said, if you put back Two embryos, it will increase your chances of twins by 40%. And our twins were born on the 8th of November (laughs) (laughs) in Ireland. Um, And the kind of, in relation to the kind of the system here, um, a multiple birth pregnancy, so twins are more in Ireland, it seems a high risk pregnancy. So, yes, so it is standard for everyone. You get all your scans here for free, all your medical consultation. Everything is covered by the state. Like we didn't pay anything, nothing. And I was in hospital for five days and it was all covered. Everything by the state. Like, amazing. Yeah. So, it's, so there's, there's some kind of good things here. Um, but what I would say now is honestly, people watching this are going to think he doesn't leave me. That, like, how can he say that? I'm really, really glad I don't have sperm. I, I, I really mean really? that. Really mean it. Explain be- it. Explain it. Because we have the most. So we have twins. Um, I'll refer to their nicknames. Um, Abba, which is a girl. Um, Tutu, which is a boy. That's their nickname, of course, because they can't pronounce their names properly. 
Um, we have the most amazing twins who are here because I don't have sperm. It's a wonderful awesome. way of putting it. That's it's a wonderful beautiful. way of putting it. Beautiful. And I mean, and you wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. This yeah. process, I mean, think about what you went through, right? And I think this is important, right? This is really, really important for people and especially men and, and couples struggling with infertility who listen to this. Like you went, you went through hell, man. You really, you, you had multiple surgeries. You went to multiple doctors. You've traveled a lot. You, you know, your partner had to go through IVF. It's, you know, that part of the process is like you said, incredibly stressful in itself. And your, your wife was injecting herself with all these medications. Mm -hmm. You guys went through all this stuff. And although, you know, that shot, those two children are not your biological children. And you said it yourself, you wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because right now at this moment, you are a father to two beautiful children. Is that correct? Absolutely. And like, my wife was talking about it one day, one another. She did an interview with someone else. And Tutu is very like me. Like, he'll go up to people and try and have the chat. Like, he's only two and a half. <laughs> he's, he's not very good at the old chat. But he's very confident. And he, he'll, he'll go up. And he, like, we, we were out yesterday in this beautiful period house. Um, really amazing. Um, do you guys know the Tudors series? You know the Tudors, that TV series? I think stuff? that's, I, th I think so. Okay. That, yeah. yeah. Well, that was all shot in Ireland. And we were in okay. oh, cool. um, this house where they shot parts of the Tudors. And he walked, I, we walked, I can't think what it was in miles. We did about six kilometers yesterday. I pushed a double buggy all around the place, up and down the hills. And he walked easily, easily three kilometers of that. Easily. Um, wow. And he's only two and a half. Nice. Um, it's <laughs> like, um, awesome and he's really like me and um, sure like at times they're difficult but, but any child's difficult to watch it any child's difficult and I'm such um, I'm so proud of them I love them so much you know and they're just so they're just I can't find the word to kind of describe how much I love them so much because they're here because of the because of a kind of an earlier setback within me. And I can only even see it as a setback because it's the way I was born. It wasn't ultimately my, my fault. And I've become quite empowered to speak out about male infertility because I remember how difficult it was for me. I'm not finding anyone to talk to. Um, and I think in general, the more men ask, about, ask for help and definitely go for therapy, the better we'll all be. Like, you know, it's, like I'm, I'm so grateful to have the chats with you guys. You know, like you've learned something, I've learned something too. Um, yeah. It's really, it's really insightful. Um, and yeah, sorry, I kind of went off on a tangent there. You, you probably have a question. No, that was great. <laughs> um, that, was, that was great. Um, but it, it's. I, I, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I'm okay, sorry. so I'm to finish off about the testosterone, the kind of back. So yes, I'm on testosterone. TRT, which is testosterone replacement therapy. And Correct. yeah, oh, I got something right. Um, so I have, <laughs> <laughs> my levels have slowly been going up. And you will find this interesting. They hit their highest, um, the first time ever that they're actually technically now in the category of where we should be for XY man. And awesome. I. Awesome. Yeah. It took five years. Now, part five do you years. feel? Do you feel different at the, that level? 
um, I my endurance levels have increased. So oh, now you're now you run like two marathons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With my eyes closed, one back. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, just the fun. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's a, it's important point. You know, um, it it is to maximize how you're feeling and the benefits of you know just general quality of life. We do um, in men with climb filters, you know, or XXY, you know, that we do try to more permanently keep you on some form of testosterone replacement therapy, just so you 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 have those benefits because. Um, you know, even though we're not treating you to have a kid anymore, we are treating you to just be the best you and be the healthiest you. And, and that's very important point that you do bring up. So, you know, I, I think that that's, that's really cool. And that's really excellent to hear that, that it's, it's working for you at this point. Well, like there I was yesterday. Um, I did, it was 12 and a half thousand steps. I did. I pushed a double buggy with two, two and a half children in it, had a backpack on all my gear up and down a hill. Man, yeah. And then I'm a stay-at-home dad, so we're very fortunate that my wife has a very good job. Um, so I'm a, I look after them, and I have them this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I get Thursday off, and then I'll have them Friday. Um, and I know if I did not get that testosterone injection, I just wouldn't physically be able to do that. Like, because I remember how how shattered I was when my levels are so low, and I'm always yeah. like, I'm so thankful for professional medical people like you guys like Jonathan Ramsey like the one I'm on I don't know if you guys know it it's called Nabido. I don't know if you've heard of that one that's that's no I'm it's sure. don't know um, probably, it's a, probably something we're familiar with just the the can't say the formal name, name of it is it's just different. something that yeah. we're yeah. unaware of um, yeah. and I, I had my Nabido injection I had a thousand milligrams in the top of my bum on Thursday and my reaction when I get this, um, I'm sure it's different for other people, is my bowel movements increase for the day of the injection and the That's day after. That's a new one. That's a new one. Oh, can't it? say that. That's really a new one. That <laughs> so, yeah, so I went to the bathroom three times on Wednesday. Sorry, three times on Thursday and five times on Friday. So there you go. Yeah, man. All right. God bless. You put man. that in your field sample. I won't include that as a <laughs> yeah. plus, though. On my next time, I tell patients about TRT for sure. Um, uh, just to, to kind of start wrapping this up, sure. um, I think the the first thing I want to ask is, you know, you're wearing the shirt, living with XXY. I know it's bad. What are some support groups or things that you like? Or, or outreach in ways that you think that guys struggling with these things can do um, to kind of feel that they're not alone and, and a better sense of community. Cause it seems like you have done such an excellent job of not only, you know, being a great spokesperson for XXY, but, you know, making, uh, you know, normalizing infertility struggles in men. Sure. Um, so I'll tell you briefly, I know it's backwards in the camera anyway. Um, so this is based in California and the guy who set this up is a guy called Ryan, Ryan Bergenti and Ryan and I are, like Ryan and I are really quite good pals, even though there's a huge eight hour time difference between us. Right. Yeah. And, um, and my kids and I, we do video calls with them and my, my kids think he's my brother cause we talk so much, <laughs> you know, that's how close. <laughs> um, but Ryan set, set this up 
to bring living with xxy living for people with, just listening is yeah the, is that's the, dot is the organization um and it's based in california and ryan's funny enough our kids were born in november 19 and ryan set this up the same month and we didn't know each other then wow yeah and ryan's an amazing guy like he, he's an xxy guy as well and he set up this foundation, this charity kind of bring a new kind of support, a new awareness about more of the positive things about being XXY. Like I can tell you super briefly, I had a conversation, you'll find this very interesting, about how my brain works. So I found out my brain, my I'm visual based, but my brain is based on geographical location. So I can actually look, like I've been in Maryland, or sorry, I've been in Bethesda, like right now, I can visualize that central four-way, was it four-way? I think it's four-way crossroads. In, and I can see where the Apple store is when I was there two or right. three, two or three years ago. Yeah, yeah. But I can then fill in the gaps of what, what the street was like, the way the road was, the cars Damn. that were parked. And it's like um, it's like Street View in Google Maps, but that's running real time exactly in my head. Um, that's kind of been an insight. And then I had an, an, an interesting conversation with a guy on Thursday in the UK and we both have this well he definitely has a really good sense of direction so I can kind of look at certain things like a certain building and like Anna and I were in um, London of course for our treatment I can look at certain photographs on my phone of memories and I can step back into that memory and remember the buses going by the sound people in mopeds like scooters bicycles all this kind of stuff and until I started talking, this again, if people start talking about being XXY, they will learn that there are certainly advantages to it. Like, like I've tried to explain to other people who are not XXY the way my brain works. And yeah. it's like, they go, oh yeah, and the lights are on, but there's no one at home because they can't, <laughs> you know, they can't articulate that because their brain doesn't work that way. But when I had that, that chat with that guy the other day, he got yeah. it, and we totally got it. And then we kind of realized, here is a positive thing about being XXY. It's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's it, you can relate. And, you know, there there is a sense of community, and there's people out there who have gone through what you've gone through and have come out the other end just as happy as you. And, and, and there are so many success stories that I just wish we had people like you talking about. Well, anytime. About it, you know? Yeah, anytime. Yeah. Um, and, like, I did... So I'd cycled the length of Ireland and did one marathon, and then I'd done two further marathons. And I would have done another marathon, only COVID came. But I'm going to hopefully do the double marathon again this year. Jeez, and, man. Gareth, there's one thing that I know. You're, you're crushing it, and me and Justin have a lot that we need to do. I must yeah. <laughs> we, we, we got to get on some marathons or some bike rides over here, huh, Justin? Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run to the airport now, and I'll be, I'll be there. <laughs> I will get you traded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, so Gareth, Gareth, so you know, as a as a final message, as a final message, so for men struggling with infertility, what message do you have for them? I would say to ask for help. Either get a professional counselor, therapist. Uh, if you can't afford that, that's totally fine. Uh, confide in someone that you can trust. Like getting this stuff out of your head is so important. Like I do feel definitely at a societal level, like there, you know, there has to be a shift here. There's too much focus on men have to be strong, 
they have to live up to this, they have to hold it all together. Like that's just, that's not realistic. And for men who are out there struggling, you know, if you need help, fucking ask for help. Like don't bottle it up. Don't drink, don't turn to, well, it happened to me. I turned to start drinking loads of booze, but then I had gone for therapy and I realized this was a bad practice, a bad avenue. And I was able then to go back into running. Like even guys who are maybe aren't as fit as me, maybe go outside for a walk. You know, maybe they live in the city, go into your local park, um, walk around the fountain, look around, look up, don't look down, look up at the pig, well, pigeons are for night, but look up at the birds. <laughs> you know, there might be squirrels around, you might see nature. Like I find being in those environments, it, it's really good for your head. Um, and I would always say after help, I think the more people after help, the better they will be. And they can always message me as well. As well. Um, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful message. There is exactly like you said, there is help. You're not alone. Everyone out there, you know, like we said, these things are more common than you'd think. We just need to make sure people are aware that they're more common than they think. And, you know, this has happened before. We have ways to treat you. We have ways to potentially help you. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, like we found out today through Gareth, if you want to be a father, you're going to be a father and you're going to love it no matter what. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful outcome either way. Um, so once again, Gareth, thank you so much for joining yeah, us today. Thank you. This was awesome. Really enlightening. Amazing. I think our listeners yeah. are really going to enjoy this. Um, how can people follow you on? I, I know you're on Instagram. Uh, how can they follow you or reach out if sure. they have any questions? Well, it's kind of how I found you guys was on Instagram. Um, so my Instagram title is pretty, pretty fly for XXY. So TV. All time name. Awesome. All time awesome. handle. <laughs> All time Instagram. Handle. And that's a number four. That's, that's pretty fly for, in case you put an F-O-U-R, you go, uh, right, right. there's no guy there. He doesn't exist. It's, it's a number four. XXY and I post shots of me out with the kids and where I go. And um, I try, I just, you know, anyone who's feeling lost, they can reach out to me. Like I'm talking to right now. I'm working with, with a guy in California. I'm working with a guy in Russia and I'm working with the other guy. Oh, I forgot. There was another guy there. And I've forgotten where in the world he is. Um, and these people are all over the world. And, you know, the, the more we talk, the better it is. Like I, um, I'm really glad I am the way I am because I, I know I'm helping others and I do it because I'm helping others and I'm helping you guys and you're working with Absolutely so many people. Absolutely you are. Yeah. Thank you again. So uh, thanks again for everyone for listening. As always, uh, you can listen to our podcast on any podcasting platform, iTunes, Spotify, download, subscribe, give us a review, five stars. You can also find all of our information on uh, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Man Up Pod. Uh, Kevin, what's our website where they can also find all of our stuff? www.themanuppod.com. That's right. So for Kevin and Gareth and me, thanks for listening. Until next time, have a good one, everyone.